Now, this morning, we come to a passage in which we find the prophet Isaiah simply and utterly devastated. Listen to the words of verse 3. My loins are filled with anguish. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear, dismayed so that I cannot see. What Isaiah is describing, what he says is happening to me, is this, that sometimes the body shuts down from a shock. You may suffer a a trauma of some kind and you find that your body is just completely shutting down. It's when it seems as though the sky has turned dark and everything around you and everyone around you feel a million miles away. And it's when the noise of life just fade away into silence and you feel profoundly lonely in the darkness. That's what Isaiah is describing is happening to him. And so in verse 4, he says, My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. What Isaiah is describing is the profound sadness of waiting for the light, but seeing that light is bringing more tragedy, more heartache. What we are seeing, what we are reading is Isaiah utterly and completely traumatized. And so this chapter, our aim is to see what has Isaiah so traumatized? Where, what is the source of his trauma? And then to ask, where is healing for Isaiah found? And the first thing we see is the source of Isaiah's trauma. And the source of Isaiah's trauma is Babylon. Babylon. You see, we see here that Isaiah is traumatized because of a vision from the Lord. Because the vision that the Lord showed him was concerning the disaster that was coming upon Judah. But not only upon Judah, but to the surrounding nations and indeed the whole world. And it is this vision that Isaiah sees that leaves him utterly broken and traumatized. And he says that this vision is like a whirlwind in the Negev. Or to put into terms that we might be more familiar with, he is describing that this vision that he saw, uh, the vision that he received from the Lord, is like a tornado that sweeps across uh, our country in certain parts and destroys everything in their path. And we've seen pictures of what tornadoes do, haven't we? How it flattens everything, how it wreaks devastation and havoc in its path. That's what he says. That's what Isaiah is saying that the vision from the Lord was like. Because that vision was uh, letting Isaiah know of the great disaster, great tragedy that was coming upon Judah and to the surrounding nations. And here we see that the tornado, the tempest, comes in the form of Babylon's assuring and boastful words. 
Now, one of the difficulties of reading prophetic passages like this is that it is written in the form of poetry, and poetry in any language requires a certain reading between the lines. But what is really helpful for our purpose today is that the things that Isaiah expresses in poetry in this chapter is actually told us in narrative prose in Isaiah chapter 39. So what Isaiah 21 is describing uh, is written in the background, uh, against the backdrop of what we read in Isaiah chapter 39. And there we read, at that time, Merodach Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys to Hezekiah. Now Babylon was at the time another superpower, which was in a constant historic struggle against Assyria. And in many ways, Israel was a small, insignificant nation caught in between a rock and a hard place, the rock being Assyria and Babylon being the hard place. And in Isaiah chapter 39, the king of Babylon sent envoys to Hezekiah. It was uh, on the surface, occasioned by is uh, Hezekiah's healing from a disease. The Lord healed Hezekiah from certain disease that was threatening his life. The word spread, and the Babylonian envoy, with the guise of congratulating Hezekiah's recovery, but then the Babylonians, uh, the envoys, did not only come to congratulate Hezekiah. But they brought a message from their king, from Merodach Baladan, the king of Babylon. And we read of the message in this passage, in this chapter 21, verse 2. The traitor betrays, the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elam, lay siege, O Media. All the sign she has caused, I bring to an end. So that's the message that the king of Babylon sent to Judah. And the message is this. Babylon is stirring up war and rebellion against Assyria. Assyria is the traitor that betrays, and Assyria is the destroyer who destroys. And so Babylon is saying, you see, we need to do something about Assyria. And he, the king of Babylon, is stirring up Judah and the surrounding nations to rebel and fight. Oh, Elam, go up, O oh, Elam. Oh, lay siege, O oh, Media. And this is where the king of Babylon, Merodach Baladan, promises to be Judah's savior. And he says, all the signs she has caused, all the signs Assyria has caused, I bring to an end. You know what he is saying? The king of Babylon is saying to Judah, all the trouble that Assyria has caused for you, all the heartache, all the sign that she has made you to, I, I am bringing to an end. What's he saying? He's saying to Judah, I am the answer to your problem. I am your savior. Trust me and follow me. That's the message that the envoys of Babylon brought to Judah. And what leaves Isaiah traumatized is seeing how Judah responded to the message. 
because Judah wholeheartedly and gladly embraced Babylon's promise. So we read in chapter 21, verse 5, they prepare the table, they spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. Upon receiving the message from the king of Babylon, I, I am your solution, I am your savior, trust me, follow me, they spread a feast. There were parties and there were songs and with each drink, their bravado and their hope rose. And so they say, arise, O princess, oil the shield with Babylon on their side. They felt invincible. And with Babylon on their side, there was nothing they could not do. And it seemed to them that victory was theirs to lose. So that is the source of Isaiah's trauma. This message that Babylon has brought to Judah and how Judah so gladly, willingly embraced the promise of Babylon and celebrated. But I think it's really helpful at this point, and this is the next point, to see the face behind the mask. And the face behind the mask of Babylon is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Now, as it turns out, Babylon did not deliver. Babylon was not Judah's savior, and Babylon did not uh, stop all the signs that Assyria has caused for Judah. Because Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, overthrew Babylon in the year 689 BC. And from the historical records of the time we read, that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, filled Babylon with corpses, and quote, Sennacherib writes, the gods dwelling therein The hands of my people took them and smashed them. That's from the historical records of the day. And that's what Isaiah is referring to in chapter 21, verse 9. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. Now we can understand Isaiah's trauma. Isaiah's anguish came from his countrymen's all-too-eager and willing acceptance of a Savior other than the Lord and the inevitable and the devastating failure of false gods to deliver on their promises. Interestingly, Isaiah 21.9, fallen, fallen is Babylon. This verse is repeated in the New Testament. We read in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And then we read once again in Revelation 18.2, fallen, Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit. 
Now, what we need to understand, of course, is that when in the book of Revelation, God utters a judgment against Babylon, that final judgment is not against Babylon as a political entity in the Middle East, because by the time of Revelation, Babylon really was not a player in global politics. It was not the powerhouse it once used to be. But when in Revelation, the final judgment is decreed against Babylon, it is not so much against that, that once powerful empire in the Middle East, but Babylon is a spiritual symbol. It, is, it stands for every kingdom, every authority, every mindset, and every lie that set themselves against God and His Christ. And the final judgment against Babylon in Revelation is God's will, His decree, His decision to bring to nothing, to destroy utterly, Every power, every influence, every authority that set themselves against God and His Christ. And this is what we need to recognize that today there is a tremendous interest in the end times. But I find that the interest in the end times is often very imbalanced and unhealthy in that there is a, a, a tendency today to look for the Antichrist as someone who is going to appear shortly before Christ returns. But if we read 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, this is what John writes. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. You see, a better balanced understanding of the end times is not merely to look for the Antichrist to come shortly before Christ returns, but that throughout history, many people and many institutions have come in the spirit of Antichrist. And the ancient Babylon, the ancient Babylon that promised to be Judah's savior, the ancient Babylon that told God's people, I am your solution, I am your savior, trust me and follow me. But the ancient Babylon that could not deliver on its promises, that ancient Babylon is just one in the long line of Antichrist who lead people astray into apostasy, who lead people into worshiping false gods, and who lead people after false saviors. And everyone that follows the spirit of Antichrist, everyone that follows the spirit of Babylon, boasting in themselves, trusting in themselves, setting up before themselves and others a false god, false hope, a false savior, and everyone that follows the spirit of ancient Antichrist and ancient Babylon, be it Judah, as much of this chapter is devoted to, or be it Edom, you see that chapter 21, verses 11 and 12, against Seir, Seir being the city of Edom, when they listened to the promises of Babylon, all they would have to show for it in the end were 
tragedy after tragedy, defeat after defeat, bloodshed after bloodshed. And you realize verse 21, verses 13 through 15 is spoken against the Arabs who trusted in the promises of Babylon and all they had to show for trusting the promises of Babylon was loss after loss. Refugees fleeing with nothing but clothes on their back, begging for food and water. And that really is the face behind the mask. Isaiah's anguish, the trauma that he's experiencing, is how easily and how gladly, how willingly Judah bought into the promises of Babylon who came to them in the spirit of the Antichrist and set themselves, set before themselves a false hope, false savior. And what will they have to show for it? Nothing but that they have paid dearly to dig their own graves. So then we ask, where is healing for Isaiah's trauma? And healing for the trauma is Jesus Christ. Now, it is true, within this chapter of Isaiah 21, there are only hints of good news and healing for Isaiah's anguish. Chapter 21, verses 9 and 10 Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. Can I put it this way? The Antichrist and Christ are not in the same weight class. It is not an even contest. And so although the Antichrist Babylon acts the part of uh, the Savior of God's people, God has in fact decreed utter ruin, destruction, and end for Babylon. And so chapter 21, verses 16 through 17. For thus the Lord said to me, Within a year, all the glory of Kedar will come to an end. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. And so Babylon's imminent defeat in the hands of the Assyrians is a harbinger, is an indication and a preview of the final destruction on all Babylons. And that's what we get in chapter 21, just hints of good news. And so Isaiah receives a healing against his anguish and trauma, but it is a partial healing. God will judge every boastful Babylon, but not yet. The true Savior of God's people will come, but not yet. And so Isaiah's full healing awaits the events promised in Revelation 14 and 18 when truly and finally and once for all, it will be declared fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And only then 
Only then, Isaiah's anguish, his trauma of suffering on the darkness, will be fully and completely healed. And I think we need to recognize that that is our story also. Because it is only then that we will also be healed fully and completely. Much like Isaiah, we also live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, we are very familiar with deep suffering. And in this fallen world, our hearts break in many ways. And in this fallen world, fear fills our hearts. And in our life's many trials, we feel lonely and we feel cut off. And that's when light goes out of our eyes. And that's when we are desperate for relief and for help. But we need to remember, loved ones, the Antichrist haunts the suffering heart. It is a spirit of Antichrist, the institutions, the powers, persons who come to us in the spirit of Antichrist that tell us that there is a better way than following Christ, that there is a wiser path than trusting God. There is a quick solution when God acts slowly and that you, by following them, can be on the right side of history. Loved ones, that, that is our battleground. That is where we, as we suffer, and we find that the Antichrist haunts our suffering. Oh, loved ones, don't buy regret with your life and don't pay dearly for your ruin. We do live in a fallen world of suffering. But even now there is hope in Christ. The Antichrist, the institutions, the persons, influences, authorities that come to us in the spirit of Antichrist, they mock our suffering with lies. But Jesus, Jesus gives us grace when we suffer. And Jesus shares our suffering as only someone who has deeply suffered can. And he promises us in Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, until then, we are also only partly healed. And we will continue to live with much grief and pain in our hearts and be tested and tempted often. But one day we will cry for the last time. 
because on that day Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more tears left to cry. And then there will be a feast and many songs. And on that day, we will not boast how great we are, how resourceful we are, how powerful we are. But on that day, we will boast of how great Jesus is, who has delivered us from all evil, all darkness, all sin, all pain, all trauma, all hopelessness. And on that day, we will sing the greatness of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And on that day, we will be fully, completely healed. So loved ones, would you look to the Lord Jesus Christ with hope in your heart? Yes, for now we grieve. For now our hearts break often. But we have hope. And one day, Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Amen. Now let's pray together. Our God and Father, we humbly come to you and we acknowledge that we, are, we also feel the great weight of living in this fallen world. We see evil, injustice, wickedness, darkness all around us. And we feel them in our hearts and in our lives and we are broken, we grieve and we suffer. Well, Father, would you please strengthen us that in our suffering, in our grief, that we might remember that Jesus who has suffered and died is with us. He dwells with us in, by his spirit. And he shares in our sufferings and he grieves with us and he carries us in his love. And that we have a glorious and unfading hope that one day the healing that we look for, the release that look, we look for will be completely ours once and for all. So help us to endure our present hardship, trials and suffering and be comforted by your promises. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.